For centuries and centuries, many Christians have followed the cycle of the church year, beginning with Advent and the longing for the coming of Jesus as King. Advent brings us to Christmas when we remember the birth of Jesus and the angel's proclamation to the shepherds around Bethlehem that the Saviour was born. This is followed by Epiphany, when Jesus' birth is revealed to the nations, those who are not Jews. We continue to reflect on the events surrounding his childhood, which gets us flipping excited, but leads us into Lent, a time to reflect on Jesus' ministry and to remind ourselves of his call to be living sacrifices as we follow him as disciples. Then comes Holy Week, which begins with Palm Sunday and the public declaration of Jesus as the promised Messiah, and takes us through the events in Jerusalem that lead up to the Last Supper and the arrest in Gethsemane. Good Friday recalls the sacrifice that the Son of God made to redeem the world and to reconcile us with God. Then on Easter Sunday, we rejoice with the first disciples, for Jesus is alive. Ascension Day follows. We begin to see Jesus in a heavenly context. The one who came to die has ascended to be with the Father. Pentecost, he poured out the Holy Spirit and commissioned his followers as the church to take the good news of his kingdom to the world. The following Sunday is Trinity Sunday. God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, three in one. All we have learnt about Jesus reveals him as God from God. In the weeks that follow Trinity, there is no new feast. Instead, these weeks reflect the centuries of the Holy Spirit-filled Church's mission. This is the age we live in, making Jesus known to the world. It does seem to go on forever. But just as one day he will return suddenly, so too we reach the feast of Christ the King. All that has gone before points to this great day that will finally one day arrive. And then, conscious that Christ is King, we begin again in Advent to prepare ourselves for his coming. So that's what today is, the Feast of Christ the King, or the Sunday before Advent. But actually, it is a festival, and I think it's probably one we as Christians should celebrate more than Christmas, because it hasn't yet been commercialised, although I'm sure Burger King might get on it eventually if they realise what we're doing. But um, this is the culmination of the year. We start by looking 
for his coming. We take ourselves through the whole journey up to Pentecost and Trinity. And then we live in this sort of valley of what we're supposed to be doing until he comes back. And then today is the celebration that he will one day return. And he will return as king. And there are loads of readings in the Bible about this, but let's focus on the two that we were given today. But to set the Jeremiah reading in context, this comes the chapter before. So um, Jeremiah's got these warnings that are going on all the way through his book. And in the chapter 22, uh, it says this. This is a message from the Lord, and the bit that's highlighted says this is what I want you to do you kings be fair-minded and just do what is right help those who've been robbed rescue them from their oppressors quit your evil deeds don't mistreat foreigners orphans and widows stop murdering the innocent that was God's heart for how he wanted his kings to be And in verse 5, at the end of that bit up there, it says, If you refuse to pay attention to this warning, I swear by my own name, says the Lord, that this palace will become a pile of rubble. God warned them what would happen if they didn't follow him. And so we come to the reading that we had this morning from chapter 23. And in this, we see that God is saying, you haven't done what I asked you to do. You have not lived the way I wanted. You have not ruled the way I wanted. What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for. And he says, well, I'm going to change this. I'm going to appoint responsible shepherds who will care for them. And they'll never be afraid again. So here's a prophecy that God was going to appoint responsible shepherds to care for his people, and we will never be afraid again, because God is going to do something new. And towards the end of that passage that we had read from Jeremiah, it says this, The time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. His name will be the Lord our Righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And the problem for the Jews, largely, is that they heard that second bit and they missed the first bit. And they were looking for this coming king and they missed the whole bit about shepherds and a shepherd who would lead his people and gather his flock. Because God is... can't think of the word, intricately involved in the lives of his people, his sheep. Every single sheep is important to God. And looking after those sheep is the heart of what he, as the king, wants to do. God weeps in this passage because he can't find the right leaders, the right shepherds. So he says, I'm going to do something myself. I'm going to provide such a king, uh, someone who's going to work with fair scales, who's going to be balanced. So Israel was waiting and yearning for their coming king, but they missed him. Here's a picture which I nicked off the internet, which sort of gives us an idea of what Old Testament prophecy is like. The believer, it says such as Isaiah, we could say such as Jeremiah, stands there looking, and he sees, or she sees, two hills. 
and they see the first bit and the second bit, and it looks like one. I don't know if you've ever done any hill walking, and you think you're nearly at the top. And you just then get there, and you realize you've got to go down 500 feet to go back up to get to the top. Well, that's the sort of picture. And the gap in between is where we are now. And that's what all the Sundays after Trinity reflect, that we actually just get on with it. We've got all the story, and we just get on with it. Uh, just to give you that another, another way, that great prophet of the rock world, Sir Rod Stewart, in his 1971 song, Saw the Two Peaks, but I don't think the song would have had such a snappy title if he'd called it Maggie Major Blair Brown Cameron May. Sorry, bad joke. <laughs> Let's move on. So, we have the two sections of this. And the first section was that Jesus was coming as a shepherd. Coming as a shepherd to lay down his life for his sheep. The one who gathers them back together. Just as God said, I am looking for good shepherds. You haven't done it. I'm going to show you how to do it. That's the first peak of the picture. And uh, Jesus said in John 17, During my time here, I protected them by the power you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was lost except the one who was doomed anyway. Jesus is the good shepherd. And that's the first part of the picture we get from Jeremiah. But then, also, at the cross, he won back the kingdom. At the cross, because he came as man, he was able to claim back the kingship of the earth, which God had said human beings should have in Genesis. And it says in Hebrews that he radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. That says that that's where Jesus is now. He is king. And he became king when he did all this stuff that we have been reading about through the whole year. Revelation starts as a letter, and it says it's from Jesus Christ, the ruler of all the kings of the world. That's who he is when he communicates us to, to us. That's where we are. We don't see it, clearly. That's not how the world feels, is it? Because we're still in that period of the valley between the peaks... We're still in the period of after Trinities. One of the other names for today, I think, is the 25th Sunday after Trinity. It's still that period where we're just getting on with it, waiting for the visible declaration that Jesus is King. Today, we celebrate the fact that that one day is going to happen. Let's move on to the Luke message. And the Luke passage has these verses in it. Jesus on the cross is reclaiming the kingship. He is reclaiming the title by his crucifixion. He's been sentenced to death. 
Now, I don't know about the kings that Jeremiah was dealing with, but I think if anyone had come up to say, we're going to arrest you and sentence them to death, he would have had them flogged and killed. But Jesus, the true king, says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're up to. The soldiers gambled for his clothes. The leaders scoffed. The soldiers mocked. One of the criminals standing beside him, also hanging beside him, also scoffed. You're the Messiah? Prove it. The world wanted a sign. The criminal wanted a sign. The soldiers wanted a sign. But God doesn't give signs particularly. He works through revelation and revealing himself to people. Which is what happened with the other criminal. The other criminal got something. He protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? There's no more time in my life. My life is up. There's no more time for me. I've got it. I've got to do with anything right now because there isn't five minutes later. And he recognized Jesus. There had been revelation. And he recognized There's no more time for me, and Jesus is innocent. He received the revelation. They were on the point of meeting God in judgment. There was no more time for salvation for them. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's the revelation. Jesus is the king. He saw it. Jesus, you are coming into your kingdom. I can see that. Remember me. And actually he did hear something that no one else in the New Testament does. He called him Jesus. Everyone else says Lord, Master, Rabbi. But I'm pretty sure, because I've got it on good authority, that no one else calls him Jesus. In the moment of revealing himself, of recognizing him as king, he also knows he can call him Jesus and be intimate. Because it says in Philippians that Christ Jesus didn't cling to equality with God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and came down lower and lower, even to the point of death on the cross, which is probably as low as you can get. And he met the person at that point, and they were equal. And then Jesus was ascending and he didn't do it like that. He says, no, we're going to do it like that. You're coming up with me. We are going to be together. So he calls him Jesus. And in that, Jesus gives intimacy. He gives acceptance. And he gives salvation. As we recognize Jesus to be our king, we're invited into that intimacy to be with him. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now that word paradise is a Greek word that they've just simply copied letter for letter into English, which is useless because it actually meant something in Greek. I'll ask Steve what it means. We get the word parade ground from it. It simply means garden. What Jesus really said was, I'm telling you today, mate, you're going to be with me in the garden. And what did that mean? That reflected right the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where God, the Lord God, walked intimately in the garden with Adam and Eve. And Jesus says, 
I've got the dominion back. I've got control of the garden back. You're going to be with me in the garden. That's where we're going to be together. And again, it doesn't feel much like there's a garden, does it? Well, I go away on holiday for two weeks and I come back and I can't walk down my garden because it's overgrown. The path has been overgrown. Thousands of years had passed since Adam and Eve had been kicked out of the garden. Not only had it started to overgrow, but the person who was now in charge was the serpent. And Jesus said of him in John 10.10, he comes to steal and to kill and destroy. So not only is the garden overgrowing, but the one who's in charge of it is destroying it. So there's an awful lot of work to do to get that garden ready. And Jesus said, I'm going up to prepare a place for you. Meanwhile, you, down here on earth, work with me. Clear the garden with me. Get your back broken with me. Share in my sufferings as we do this. And then we will share in the garden together. Your kingdom come on earth in the garden as it is in heaven. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's the job of this valley of trinities but one day the garden's going to be open for the celebration festival party that's what he's saying so we have the garden which represented by the word paradise but all that means is garden so Jesus says we're going to share it it says in Romans since we are his children we are his heirs in fact together with Christ we're heirs of the garden which we will walk in together. So next week we begin to prepare for that coming. And we think about he is coming again. But meanwhile, for today, happy King Feast. <laughs>